You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Hello, Radio Maria family, and welcome to this week's edition of Your Life is Worth Living, Reflections from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. For over 50 years, Archbishop Sheen captivated audiences on both radio and television. Millions tuned in each week to hear his messages of hope and encouragement. On this week's broadcast, we will share a few of those reflections with you. And so we'd encourage you to sit back and relax and enjoy one of the greatest communicators of our time, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Hello, Radio Maria family, and welcome to this week's edition of Your Life is Worth Living. Before we get started today, we would like to take this opportunity to inform you of a worldwide marathon taking place from May 23rd to May 27th. This marathon is to help raise funds in order to establish other Radio Maria stations around the world so that we are able to bring the good news of Jesus through Mary to all corners of the world. You could call with a pledge today, and our phone numbers I will give right now, and I will also give uh, throughout the program today. And so you can reach us by calling in Toronto, uh, 416-245-7117. Again, 416-245-7117. Or in Montreal, our office there at 514-728-1100. Again, 514-728-1100. Or you can visit us on the web at www.radiomaria.ca. And so I'll repeat those numbers for you later in the program. But this is our time for pledges and uh, looking to grow our apostolate. So we appreciate your help. Today's program will feature uh, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen uh, giving a retreat to young people And he's going to talk about those two sensitive topics, love and sex. Uh, You can mix those two words together in a sentence and still uh, be safe. And so we're in good hands with the bishop. And so he'll give us that address. Uh, But before we get to that talk, we will share a reflection back from the 40s and the Catholic hour. And he's going to be talking about world peace and the four pillars of peace. And so I would encourage you to sit back and relax now and enjoy the Venerable. Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. The Right Reverend Monsignor Fulton J. Sheen now addresses the Catholic Hour audience. The title of Monsignor Sheen's talk is The Social Condition of World Peace. Monsignor Sheen. Friends, we trust that you have written for the free booklet entitled Friends. When you receive it, you will notice that it pleads with Christians to be friends with the Jews and with the Jews to be friends with Christians and with all to be friends with God. 
We trust, too, that you are setting aside an hour a day in prayer for peace with justice. For how can God be on our side unless we are on his? Continuing now our series on the moral law, today we discuss the basic principle of the social order. Freedom is a moral power, not a physical power. Freedom could be understood in either of two ways, one of which is wrong and the other of which is right, namely as physical freedom and moral freedom. Physical freedom says, I can do whatever I please. Moral freedom says, I can do whatever I ought. Certainly you can do whatever you please. You can stuff your mattresses with old razor blades. You can turn machine guns on your neighbor's chickens. You can do these things. But ought you? Moral freedom is based not on power but on the moral law of God. It envisages freedom within the law rather than outside of it, for the best self-expression is self-perfection. Physical freedom means license, the power to draw triangles with four sides, giraffes with short necks, the power to plot against one's country and to break the commandments of God and of man on the theory that he who restrains individual egotism restrains freedom. Moral freedom, on the contrary, means purchasing the right to fly by obeying the laws of gravitation, the right to drive a car by obeying the traffic laws, the right to be American by obeying the laws of American, and the right to be a child of God by obeying the moral law. Now, the point we are making is that freedom is meaningless apart from the moral law. In order to prove it, let us glance at the four freedoms for which we are fighting in this war. You remember them? Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. Not a single one of these freedoms is an end in itself. They have meaning only in the context of the moral law. Why, for example, should there be freedom of religion? Because of the sacredness and inviolability of the human person and his right to adore God according to the light of his conscience. Freedom of religion does not mean, therefore, the right to be anti-religious any more than the freedom to live means the right to murder. Why should there be freedom of speech? Because speech being an instrument is to be used for the proper purpose of speech. That is, for the communication of truth, goodness, knowledge, and information, and not for the diffusion of scandals, lies, treason, or immorality. Freedom of speech does not give one the right to destroy freedom of speech any more than the right to light a match gives one the right to burn down one's neighbor's house. Why should there be freedom from want? 
because the necessities and the decent comforts of life are the material conditions for the development of personality and therefore for the salvation of the soul. Freedom from want no more gives one the right to abundance purchased by making others want than freedom to possess means the freedom to dispossess. And why should there be freedom from fear? Because peace of mind is the condition of culture. And culture is impossible when a man fears either the consequences of his own sins or the consequences of the sins of others. The right to freedom from fear never means the right to terrorize others any more than the murderer's fear of jail gives him the right to kill the judge. Freedom, therefore, is responsibility. And hence, freedom of religion will die if we shirk our responsibility to God. Freedom of speech will die if we shirk our responsibility to truth. Freedom from want will vanish if we shirk our responsibility to our fellow man. And freedom from fear will vanish if we shirk our responsibility to love those who are in distress. Four freedoms set in the moral law are therefore quite different from the four freedoms isolated from it. As a matter of fact, if you ever separated the four freedoms from the moral law, they would be wicked. So very wicked that they should be rejected, as they were rejected by our blessed Lord on four distinct occasions. Our Lord once rejected a false freedom of religion. Satan appeared to him on the mountaintop and unrolled before his mind's eye all the nations, kingdoms, and empires of the world in an increasing panorama of pomp and of power. And in one of the most frightening and terrifying statements in all Scripture, Satan, pointing to all of these kingdoms and nations, said to our Lord, All these are mine. They are mine. And I will give them to thee, if falling down thou wilt adore me. Here was a freedom of religion in the false sense of the term. That is, the freedom to adore either God or Satan. And our blessed Lord rejected it, for he would not have a freedom of religion that meant the freedom to be anti-religious, diabolical, anti-God or anti-moral. And then he was once offered, too, a very false freedom of speech. Led before one of the judges, false charges and lies and accusations were hurled in his face. And the judge offered the divine master a false freedom of speech. The judge said, Answerest thou nothing to the things that are laid to thy charge by these men? But he held his peace. He would not speak. For freedom of speech ceases to be freedom of speech when speech may be used only to defend a lie. It is the truth that makes us free, not a lie. And our Lord rejected a false freedom from want 
After fasting for, for 40 days, Satan appeared before our divine Lord and pointing to the little stones down below that resembled in appearance the Jewish bread, Satan suggested, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Evidently, Satan too believes in freedom from want. But our blessed Lord refused to accept Satan's abundance, for it would have been purchased at the cost of obedience to the divine will. Rejected a false freedom from fear. On Holy Thursday night, Judas led a band of soldiers down to the brook of the Kedron and into the garden to apprehend our divine Lord. Peter, in one of his rather frequent, impetuous moments, drew a sword and hacked off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Peter apparently believed in security or freedom from fear. But it was the wrong kind. And our blessed Lord, reprimanding Peter, said to him, Put up again thy sword into its place. For all that take the sword shall perish by the sword. No freedom from fear would the Savior of the world have if it were purchased at the cost of injury to a fellow man. Hence, not a single one of the four freedoms is an end in itself. Either they are means to the attainment of moral purposes or they are wicked. Freedom from something is meaningful only when we are free for something. And until we know what we want to be free for, there's not much use in struggling or fighting or waging a war. Very simply, what use is freedom of religion if there be no God to worship? What use is freedom of speech if there be no truth to defend? What use is freedom from want if such security is purchased at the cost of another's privation? What use is freedom from fear if such security is purchased at the cost of one's soul? Freedom, you see, means moral responsibility. And from it, these conclusions follow. First, we are talking a great deal in this war about the four freedoms, and we should talk about them. But we must not assume that we can give freedom to the enslaved peoples of Europe. All that we can do is to remove external hindrances to freedom. Freedom is from the spirit not from power. We can no more give Europe freedom than we can give every European a soul. In order to be free, every man must make his own soul. Let us not then promise to Europe something that we cannot deliver. They have already been deceived too much. 
Communism promised them freedom through economic abundance and gave them spiritual destitution. Nazism promised them freedom through labor's realm and gave them totus realm. Fascism promised them freedom through law and gave them law without freedom. And democracy must not add to this tragic litany by promising a freedom which only God can give. We are not God, and we cannot give God's gifts. We enjoy God's liberty, but we do not create it. And hence, all that we can promise to Europe is to say this. We will take the shackles off your legs so you can walk out of your prisons and get down on your knees and remake your soul. We can say to them, we will make you freedmen. But only God and his grace can make you freemen. More than that, we cannot say short of swollen egotism and vile blasphemy. And secondly, we must appreciate the fact that freedom is not an heirloom which originally belonged to the founding fathers of our country and now belongs to our generation. Freedom is rather an endowment like life. And it is preserved by resisting from time to time the challenge of disease and death and slavery and the forces of evil. The freedom, for example, that George Washington won for us has not come down to us as an antique. Freedom of those days is not freedom for our day unless we win it for our day as they did by sacrifice and by fire and by tears. A freedom that costs nothing is worth nothing. It is not the original cost of freedom that is high. It is the upkeep. Freedom is not foolproof. It demands restraint and law and obedience and discipline, a freedom that is strong enough to enforce discipline. And finally, freedom is ours only to give away. We want freedom in order that we may make our choices. But do we appreciate the fact that every man in the world gives his freedom away. He gives it either to creatures, to public opinion, or to God. To creatures. That happens when a man surrenders his freedom for money, for power, or for a human being. For all love is slavery. A slavery which seeks to unburden itself for the object of affection. Then there are others who give up their freedom to the moods and opinions of the moment. And oh, how many they are. Swayed by the winds of every commentator and propagandist, they have no judgments of their own, no standards of their own. And thus, while mouthing slogans of liberty, they surrender the last vestige of it to a slavery worse than chains. For by obeying propaganda, 
even the mind is bound. And finally, others give up their freedom to God, wanting nothing, seeking nothing, desiring nothing, except to do his will in all things, in a slavery to perfect truth and perfect love and perfect life, which is the highest kind of freedom, for to serve him is to rule. There is not a man alive who does not make one of these three surrenders. To whom do you give your freedom? To creatures? To propaganda? Or to God? If I have any influence, please choose the last. For then your freedom will be eternal. As our blessed Lord said, if the Son of God shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. God love you. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, Your Life is Worth Living. Hosted by Al Smith. Hello, Radio Maria family, and thank you for joining me for this edition of Your Life is Worth Living. I love how the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen makes it very simple. He tells us like it is. You want peace? You need these things. Uh, He gives you the to-do list, and he just doesn't talk about an idea or a philosophy. He gives us the homework, the homework to do, to say, you want to get to heaven? You need to do this. You got to work. And so he gave us our marching orders today to help us to find world peace. And so we're trying to share the peace that passes all understanding, uh, the peace of Jesus Christ uh, to the whole world. And this is our radio marathon. It's our annual fundraiser where we're trying to raise money to establish other Radio Maria stations around the world so that we are able to bring the good news of Jesus through Mary to all the corners of the world. And Archbishop Sheen said many times, you know, the two words that our Lord spoke in sacred scripture at the beginning and the end, the first thing he said was, come, come follow me, come and take rest in me and learn from me. And then at the end, he says, go, go and share the good news. And this is what we're doing. Uh, We are going, going out into the world to share the gospel. And so we would like you to help us with that. And so you could call us at our Toronto office, area code 416-245-7117. Again, 416-245-7117. We have volunteers waiting to take your call. And we're also in our Montreal office uh, at 514-728-1100. Again, 514-728-1100. Our volunteers are there in Montreal to take your pledges. And so we'd appreciate that. And if you feel more comfortable uh, just donating online, our website has a secure server And so you can log into www.radiomaria.ca and there is a donate button and you can make your pledge there also. And so anything you can do for our Lord is greatly appreciated. 
And uh, we do need your prayers, of course. We need you to pray for our volunteers, for the staff here, for us volunteer programmers who come in each week to do our shows. Uh, please, we need your prayers and know that we are praying for you. And so I want to return now to the wit and wisdom of the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen as he will give a reflection to young people on the topic of love and sex. Now a word to you young people. It is very hard for you to realize that your parents lived in a day when no bicycle needed to be locked. When doors were left unlocked at night. When anyone could walk the streets of a large city without being mugged or attacked. Those were days of peace. You have never seen them. It probably is hard for you to realize that that's the way America once was. Now, how did this change come about? Why suddenly have we had so much dishonesty? Let me tell you this story about dishonesty. I was in one of the big hotels of this country. The manager told me that he found the cashier stealing money. This woman had a very wide pocket in her skirt, and she would reach in the drawer and take bills and stick them in. And they saw her, and one day they caught her in the act and discharged her. The union said to her, you may not discharge her. If you discharge her, we will call a strike on the hotel and call everyone out of the hotel. The litigation went on for about three months. The union won. They had to take the girl back. Do you know what their argument was? They said to the hotel manager, did you ever tell that girl it was wrong to steal? The hotel said, no, we never told her it was wrong to steal. Well, then how would she know? See how much the world has changed? Now, what made it change? I think maybe we can pinpoint a date. 8.15 in the morning, the 6th of August, 1945. Can any of you recall what happened on that date? It's history. Before you were born, many of you. Yes, what was it? Which? The war? No. It was the dropping of the bomb on Hiroshima in Japan. When we flew an American plane over this Japanese city and dropped the atomic bomb on it, we blotted out boundaries. There was no longer a boundary between the civilian and the military, between the helper and the helped, between the wounded and the nurse and the doctor, between the living and the dead. For even the living who escaped 
the bomb were already half dead. So we broke down boundaries and limits. And from that time on, the world has said, we want no one limiting me. So that you people heard the song, you sung it yourselves, I gotta be me, I gotta be free. You want no restraint, no boundaries, no limits. Have to do what I want to do. Now let's analyze that for a moment. Is that happiness? I gotta be me? I've got to have my own identity? Are any of you on a basketball or football team? You can't be yourself, you've got to live for a team. The coach of the Oakland Raiders, Coach Madden, told me, he said, what's happening to our Catholic schools? He said, I have boys from Catholic colleges coming to my football team and they say, I got to do my thing. How am I ever going to have a football team? Everybody has to do his thing. A team means doing the other person's thing. But we want no limits, no boundaries. There was a French play that was written, well, in your lifetime, by Sartre, in which there are three men in hell. And each of them talks about his pains, his aches, his protests, his worries, his ego, his identity. And the others are not listening. When the curtain goes down, the last line of the play is, my neighbor is hell. Why is the neighbor hell? Because he stands in my way. I can't do what I want to do. God is hell. Parents are hell. Church is hell. Why? Because they limit me. So now we're living in a world of just doing your thing without regard for law. Just suppose now, to get very practical, just suppose your parents never gave you pot training. Think it out. You've got to do your thing. <laughs> Two things would happen. Today, you would hate your parents for never having trained you. And secondly, you would hate yourself. So you are what you are today simply because your parents laid hold of you and said, you're go we're going to train you. They didn't allow you to do your thing. Now, if I've made myself clear up to this point, you're living in an age where freedom is described as license, the right to do whatever you please. But that's chaos. If everyone did what he drove a car as he pleased, we'd have disorder in the streets. 
Certainly you can do whatever you please. You can stuff your Aunt Maisie's mattress with old razor blades. You can turn a machine gun on your neighbor's chickens. Then freedom becomes just a, a physical power. Then the one who is most free is the one who is most strong. So the world has changed. We used to have laws. We had obedience. We had discipline. Today, no boundaries, no limits. And you're not happy that way. Now, there isn't a boy here because you are more interested in games than the girls are. But when you play games, and it's true of the girls in a limited way, you have boundaries, you have limits. You've got foul lines on a basketball court. You play baseball, you've got lines running into the outfield. You play football, limits, boundaries. You couldn't have fun if someone, for example, was picked up the football and ran outside of the field. You say, no, you can't do that. We got limits. Well, why don't you respect it in other things? If that's the way you want it in games, why don't you want it that way in life? Then we're happy. Now, what is the one thing in this free world, thanks to the press and television, that is the major interest of the young? It's sex. So let's talk about it. Today, sex has become almost mental. Every advertisement has to use it so that you are inclined always to think about it. What is it, really? Well, the reason you want to know about it is because it's a mystery. What is a mystery? Well, a mystery is a sacrament. As a matter of fact, the Greek word mysterion is the Latin word sacrament and the English sacramentum and the English word sacrament. Now, what is a sacrament? And then we'll understand sex. Every sacrament or every mystery has two elements. First, physical. Secondly, spiritual. Something that is visible, something that is invisible. Take, for example, baptism. What is the physical side of baptism? Water. What is the invisible side of baptism? The cleansing of the soul to make us children of God. A word is a sacrament because there's something audible and then there's something invisible about it, namely the meaning of the word. Take, for example, a pun. I don't know whether I can think of one at the moment, but oh yes, here's one. A little girl was once asked, what are you going to do when you get as big as your mother? And the little girl said, diet. Now, you see, you laughed at that. Now, why did you laugh at that? If, if for example, a horse heard that joke, the, the horse wouldn't give a horse laugh. Why do you laugh? Because in addition to hearing the sound that a horse would also hear, you got meaning out of it. 
you've got purpose. The Eucharist is a sacrament, a mystery. Something you can see, bread. Something invisible, the presence of Christ. Sex is a mystery. There is something physical about it. Everyone is either male or female. It's that simple. Period. Not at all complicated. What is the invisible side of sex? What is the mystery? It's a mystery of love. And it stands for something spiritual. First of all, sex stands for God's creative power given to people. So he gives the creative power to a husband and wife. Instead of directly creating us, he says to a father and mother, I will let you share my creative power. And you will give life. This is the spiritual side of marriage and of sex. But it also stands for something else. When you girls and boys get older, someday you'll hear come to the altar. You'll be married. And there will be a reading from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And this is what you will be told. Every bride stands for the church. Every groom stands for Christ. Think of it. God intended that in marriage, the husband stands for Christ. The bride stands for the church. Does that mean that the, that the man is the head of the woman in the sense of domination? No. The man is the head of the woman in the sense of sacrifice. So as Christ gave himself up for his spouse, his bride, which is the church, so the husband sacrifices himself for the wife. Now, that's the spiritual side of marriage and of sex. It therefore refers to love, human love between husband and wife, the love for God, the love for the church. One of the reasons why it is very difficult for parents ever to teach you the complete mystery of sex is this. They find it very hard. To, they can communicate the physical side. That's nothing. But to communicate to you the mystery, the deep, profound love that is involved, that is something that is almost impossible to describe. The poet said, would that I could utter the thoughts that arise in me when there was love in his heart. And therefore, there will always be a difficulty in the way of explaining to you the mystery. Now, this is what it is. It's God's gift, his creative power, and it's not to be used.
until God gives the power. Now, for example, where's my Lieutenant Fitzgerald? He's around here someplace. Well, now, Lieutenant Fitzgerald has been with me every day since I've been here. Suppose I took his uniform and put it on. Well, first of all, it wouldn't fit me. But suppose it fit me, fitted me. Well, I would then go out in the street in his uniform and begin directing traffic. I would have no authority to direct traffic, even though I was wearing the uniform. I have to be empowered by civil authority to wear that uniform and direct traffic. And so you have to be empowered to use this mystery. You cannot use the oven by yourself. We're in school, see, that's change of classes. So I'll change my subject now and give you another idea <laughs> to keep you interested. The new idea to which we pass is the difference in which the difference of love in a young man and in a love young woman. Now, I hope I can impress you boys and you girls with this difference. It will say particularly you girls. There's a world of difference in which a man loves a woman and a woman loves a man. A world of difference. A boy can love a part of a woman. A woman can love only the whole man. Now that is why, my dear girls, that the boys will talk about your legs. They can love a part of you. They can love a dimple, but then they have to marry a woman. Do you ever talk about boys' legs? Never. You never mention boys' legs. Why? Simply because you're not built that way. The boys different. That's the reason you got to watch the boys. Don't think they love you simply because they love a part of you. But you girls, you're slow to love. And the boys will say, oh, you're cold. You're not cold. You're wise. That's what it is. You can't love until you give yourself totally and completely. So you wait. Therefore, do not rush into marriage. Take your time. Wait and see whether the man is capable of sacrifice or not. And then the man, too, if he spoils you in any way, will not have the same love afterwards as before. There's an interesting story in the scripture, and that is always the place to go for wisdom in understanding human actions. Amnon was in love with the young woman in David's palace, Tamar. And Amnon one day pretended he was sick. And he asked Amnon to bring him some cakes. 
Amnon brought the cakes. And, I mean, uh, Tamar brought the cakes. Then Ammon assaulted Tamar. And then he said to her, Now get out. Then he called the servants. Lock the door. Send her away. And scripture says, The hate with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. In other words, he knew he was guilty. He had spoiled something. He had plucked a young blossom. And he projected the guilt to her as if she herself were guilty. A young girl told me once that a boy had ruined her and on the way back, He gave her a lecture on, you You got to watch out for boys. They're not good. They'll pretend they love you. He was trying to escape his guilt. So now we have learned that there's a world of difference between how a man loves and how a woman loves. And wait until you're wise and you're mature. And incidentally, we have a very long maturity. Did you know it in the United States? I think we have the longest juvenility in the world. The Jews, for example, had about the age of 13. Today, you are a man. Yesterday, you were a boy. Now you're growing. But we have people going back and forth from juvenility to maturity and crossing and recrossing the line. So wait until you mature in judgment. And finally, you will often hear among yourselves, boys and girls talking and saying, I don't believe anymore. I'm an atheist. Or I, I, I just can't believe in God and the like. Do not argue with them. I will give you a rule that will help you very much in life. Never pay very much attention to what people say. Pay attention to why they say it. What are they covering up? I was instructing a stewardess on an international airline. And I got up to the subject of confession and she said, Now I'll never go to confession after hearing this instruction. I refuse to become a Catholic. Well, I said, take one more lesson. And then at the end of that instruction, you may discontinue. Well, at the end of the next instruction, she was in a veritable creed. She shrieked, screamed, let me out of here. Now I'll never be a Catholic. I said, my dear girl, there's no proportion whatever between what you have heard and the way you're acting. Have you had an abortion? She said, yes. She finished instructions. I later witnessed the marriage and baptized the baby. Do not pay attention to what people say. Why do they say it? Why was she attacking confession? It was her way of escaping her inner guilt, blaming it onto the sacrament. And when you hear young people say, I'm atheist and so forth, do not 
argue about their faith. Look into their morals. How are they living? That's the important thing. And hence our blessed Lord said, Blessed are the clean of heart, the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Purity gives us vision. If the window is dirty, the light cannot come in. If our morals are bad, then the faith in the light of God cannot come into us. So keep yourselves clean. Now, you're wonderful young people. And I trust that the Holy Spirit will inspire you to recall some of the things that I've talked to you about today. I've been very frank. And I assume your goodness and that you'll always be good. And for you girls, may I say that there is such a thing as the apostolate of beauty. The apostolate of beauty. Do not be ashamed to think of that. You're young, attractive, but the mere fact that you're young, you're vivacious. Do you realize that when beauty is virtuous, it's far more appealing than anything else? You recognize that I have power, the good Lord has given me the power of word, but he's given to you this other power. And it's more powerful, really, because, as a wise old Greek said, everyone loves beauty. So practice the apostolate of beauty. And as for you, young men, life is hard. It's a struggle. But the Lord will not be failing in his goodness to you. And now with that, I conclude because I don't want to keep you any longer. And I will finish with a story about a priest who was talking on the 12 minor prophets. There are 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. And he had talked for an hour and 45 minutes and had finished only three. He saw the audience was getting a bit tired. And so he introduced the next one with some degree of histrionics. And he said, and now, and now, where shall I place Habakkuk? Someone got up in the back of the hall and said, he can take my seat. <laughs> You're free now. The Lord love you and bless you and keep you good because you're going to make the church in the next 30 years and we depend on you thank you and god love you you are listening to radio maria canada we now continue with the program your life is worth living hosted by al smith hello radio maria family and thank you for joining me for an hour of reflection with the venerable archbishop fulton j sheen i am truly blessed to listen to his voice and to hear his messages each and every week i've had the opportunity to develop shows for over five years now uh, featuring the writings and teachings of the venerable archbishop fulton j sheen 
He has truly changed my life and uh, has filled me with a knowledge of the faith, a knowledge of God's love, and he's truly given me the script I'm to use as I interact with souls here on earth. And so I hope, too, you will actually learn from this script. And one of the best ways to do it is to just listen to Sheen every day. And you can do that by visiting two websites. Uh, there's the website I developed a number of years ago uh, called bishopsheentoday.com. And there on that website are over a hundred YouTube videos where you can watch Bishop Sheen from his television series, Life is Worth Living, and a number of retreats he gave, including the retreat you heard today on this program. And there are some free downloadable books, and there is the archive of the five years of radio shows I've done featuring the teachings of the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. And our good friends at FultonSheen.com, who have made this audio recording available to us today, uh, they have close to 300 audio files of lectures and retreats and the audio from the television show, Life is Worth Living. Everything that Bishop Sheen spoke uh, is on that website. And so for pennies, you can download the entire library. I think it's $27 for everything and uh, just have it in your computer in your car on your iphone or your other uh, they call them android phones now um, you can carry bishop sheen with you wherever you go and this is what happened to me is i just kept listening to what he said and i started to build a repertoire uh, i want to say um, uh, an apologetics uh, position uh, to be a good catholic apologist uh, Bishop Sheen gave me the knowledge I needed uh, to do that well, and so I would encourage you to do the same. And you can log on to their website at www.fultonsheen.com, and there you'll see all of the uh, different um, categories of talks and uh, just how beautiful his collection is. So there you have it. Another hour has gone by. We ask for your support of our um, radio station here in Canada and, of course, the Radio Maria network across the world. Uh, we want to grow this apostolate, and so we rely on your financial and prayerful support. And so I think what we'll do is let's pray for a favor from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Uh, it is a prayer I usually begin the show with, but today I'll end the show with this prayer. And so please join me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal Father, you alone grant us every blessing in heaven and on earth through the redemptive mission of your divine Son, Jesus Christ, and by the working of the Holy Spirit, if it be according to your will, glorify your servant, Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, by granting the favor I now request through his prayerful intercession. And here I pray for the growth of Radio Maria, the establishment of other Radio Maria stations throughout the world. And we pray for our listeners' intentions. And we make this prayer confidently through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Thank you for praying with me. Thank you for listening uh, this week. And we encourage you to uh, visit us again next time. And so I would like to give those numbers one last time for our radio marathon. In Toronto, area code 416-245-7117. Again, 416-245-7117. Or our Montreal office at area code 514-728-1100. 514-728-1100. We have volunteers waiting for your telephone call and your pledge. Or you could visit us on the web at www.radiomaria.ca. May God truly bless you and know that our good Lord will reward you for your generosity and support. And so until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. You have been listening to Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith, here on Radio Maria Canada.